this land if they live righteously. It is time for another episode of the Cultural Hall. It is the last news episode of 2023. Now, in my heart of hearts and my hope of hopes, there will be a uh, like a news roundup, a top 23 stories of 2023 that will still come out either uh, right on New Year's or right around New Year's. So that will likely be the next episode. But this will be the last time that we sort of go around the news. And so I thought, why not hearken back to our younger years when we used to have multiple hosts do the news. We used to, if you guys can imagine, neither of you guys did this. Uh, one of you couldn't even do this if we did this. Uh, we used to all meet together physically in the same place once a week to do an episode. It's uh, Megan the Mitch Mitchell and Mr. Mayor. Good morning or afternoon or evening or whatever. Time is non-existent in podcast. How are you guys? Good Wonderful. Awesome. You Having extra people on here means that... Um, um, when I screw up, you can always move to Megan. That is a hundred percent why Megan is here, and so that so that you don't feel bad, Andrew. That's a hundred percent why you're here too. Oh. I was going to say because what if I mess up? Yeah, yeah. And it's cute that you said what if there's, but there's no mess ups, guys. Life, it's right. That's what life is. It's a series of mess ups that we just we we find our way through. Blah 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 blah. We're all making blah. it up as we go along. Yeah. So long as we dance like no one is watching. And we learn to live and love. That's that's the time of year that we're in. Uh, I got to tell you guys this. I got my I stepped in it a little bit. I uh, posted the other day on the Cultural Hall Facebook page about uh, about Sundays, the Sundays of Christmas and the Sundays of Easter, and um, and I said, you know, listen, I don't think that we need to. I didn't say it this way, but this is sort of the attitude that I've taken since I posted. But I said, hey, you know what? I think that we're missing a missionary opportunity. With Christmas, oh yeah, about the Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve night. Well, well, okay. There, so there was two posts. One, yeah, I think we should do something Christmas Eve. That's not this. I went to a church on on Sunday. We did the hour church that should have been church wide. So if you went to two hours, maybe you need to talk to your stake president about your bishop. Uh, but we we went, and the first like here's so here are a few things I loved. Right, we're gonna we're gonna make a we're gonna make a sandwich. Right, where I say some things I love some things I'd like to change, and then some positive things on the other side. So here's some things that I loved about it. One, I really loved that uh, on on and in the Christmas season, I was able to take the sacrament. I actually didn't think that it was going to be a sacrament Sunday for some reason. I thought maybe it was like state conference or they combined three wards for us. Oh, so, really? Uh, so I thought, uh, yeah, because we all meet in the same building. And I think that, you know. Just knock it all out at one time. Yeah, they do it at one time so that it can be, you know, the this big sort of, you know, gathering of everyone. And so that, you know, people aren't having to do it at Getting two, all the deacons two. from all the wards. Yeah, I had probably had a lot of deacons. and So, so we'll get to that because part of that, but no. <laughs> Uh, so we just are like, okay, we do it. So we do it at 10 o'clock. They pick the optimal church time. I think that we can all agree at, which is 10 in the morning, get yeah. it done, done by 11. So, but we go and there, we, they open, we're about three fourths away into the gym. They didn't have chairs set up, you know, beyond the gym. So we're doing the thing where people are doing, you know, the announcements and we're setting up chairs in the back. So that, and eh, not ideal pass. That's fine. But then we get to um, we get to the sacrament, and the sacrament easily went until ten thirty ten thirty five. So more than half of the meeting, which is great, and and, and is the point to 
uh, the meeting, I suppose, right? It's the renewing our covenants. I don't want to take you that suppose. lightly. <laughs> well, 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 so, but so here is here is the thing. So if if I am a a church member, that is the point to the meeting, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going because I've made these covenants and I want to be able to renew these covenants. I'm not, and I'm not downplaying that by any means, but it took so long and there's not anything that's going on during it that if you are a guest, if you are just visiting, you're sitting for 30 minutes. Now you'd hope that it would be like, well, the spirit could touch their heart and they could be, be, you know, during that time, but you're not supposed to be talking. So it's not like a thing like, you know, right now what we're doing is focusing on the sacrifice of the savior. And we want, you know, you're just supposed to be quiet. And so, uh, it, it was a really, really long time to do that. And, and they just didn't have enough people passing to your point, Andrew, they have like, we never have enough. We have four young men in our ward that pass. And so we just sort of make our way through the four young men passing. They only had eight. And I swear to you, when I wow. saw, when I noticed that there was eight, I just about pointed out my, you know, the couple friends that I have that I know would be worthy to do it as well and be like, let's go. Cause we don't have to, you know, let's just get this going. Um, so that, and then we had one speaker, which you're thinking, that's great. You know, one speaker, you get the guy who is, he's the the traveling public speaker. Uh, you know, th that's what his profession is. Or he's a, he's a former minister of a this, or he, and the, and the one guy who spoke his, the, the things that he spoke about were so great. Talked about the need of a savior, talked about the love that he has for us in the most drawn out monotone voice ever <laughs> as he read it. And I, and so I was sitting, I was sitting there thinking, and I'm like, am I just being a, a critical? Am I a poopy pants? Was the joke that I made in my, inside my head. Am I just like, I got in this and now everything is whatever. And I'm like, no, this, this, this could be, this could be better. And then we sang and we sang, you know, like three or four hymns, which I like a hymn. But it was literally 35 minutes of sacrament speaker that was reading in a non-exciting voice, you know, this kind of thing. And then, well, we're going to sing until it hits 11 o'clock and then you guys can go. And I looked around from where I was at and there were lots of people that I know aren't there on any other Sunday. Yeah. Na yeah. Namely, my wife who's next to me going, how long is this going to take? So that's what I was going to ask. I'm like. You're looking, I think, are you looking, you're, you're probably looking at it from a little bit different lens than some people because yeah, Christmas Eve is, 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 especially when church shows up on Christmas Eve for a lot of members, I think it's a, we got to do the bare minimum. We got to do the most important thing, which is the sacrament. True. Everything else is peripheral to it, but you're coming in looking at it from the lens of, Hey, I'm bringing my wife to Christmas Eve. Sure. Wife's not a member. There's just that extra you know, lens that you're looking at it from, or maybe other, other years when you weren't married to your current wife, um, that you might've gone, yeah, glad this is over. This is great. Let's yeah. move on. Yeah. Yeah. But so many people, gentlemen, literally right across the aisle from me, jeans and a t-shirt and you could, and I don't want to make that assessment or judgment, but, but probably I feel pretty accurate in guessing he not a member or doesn't come and said to his wife or girlfriend, whoever was next Let's to him, go. who was dressed, hey, you know what? It's on Christmas Eve. I'll go with you. And I just I just think that there is enough of that. And within our culture, there is enough that is bred where it's like Christmas and Easter, 
at least that's the kind of thing that you can do in Christendom. That's what we do. And I just feel like we, if we could put our, our best foot forward, we would serve ourselves just a little bit better by thinking, okay, you know what? Maybe we'll have way too many people passing the sacrament, but let's have 16 people and let's just yeah. get this thing done. Lickety split. And we got a speaker. I know that, uh, you know, uh, I know that uh, I was going to try and remember your husband's name, Megan, and I can't remember his name. Carson Mitchell. Carson. And we know Carson does a great job speaking, but we know he just spoke two weeks ago, but we're going to have him speak again for the, the Christmas thing. And then uh, we know that Andrew sings really well. So we're going to get Andrew and his wife to sing a duet and then we'll sing a song. And then we know that, uh, you know, sis sister Jasperson, she plays the organ really well. So we'll let her play a number. And so I posted that on uh, on Facebook and people were like, if you went and you didn't feel the spirit, that's on you. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, not that's not the no, point. That is not the yeah. point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they missed they missed the point. Yeah, I, I agree with that statement. I think look at you know we we fall in the fall in the cat. This falls in that category of the best things about the church is that we're a lay ministry, and the worst mm -hmm. things about the church is that we're a lay ministry. All in the same yeah. same time. Um, and so I agree with the statement in general. The idea that like, if you go to the church. And someone's up there trying their best, even if they're not trying their best. And uh, if you don't feel the spirit, it's on you. I agree with that statement in general, but I, mm -hmm. but you're not talking about that. That's yep. what that, that's the thing. You're talking about this, this opportunity we have with Christmas Eve, which is a, a unique opportunity that people will come to church, you know, and, and, and where, you know, it's, they feel obligated or, they feel not obligated. They feel inspired to come to church mm -hmm. on that time. And if we, we could have that opportunity to show them, hey, you know, the spirit can can be here. We can we can really do a good a good job. And the fact that it is a truncated meeting, that we don't have other callings going on, it is you could you could conceivably say we should focus a hundred percent on a smaller, well managed, really well done sacrament meeting that yes we're gonna we're gonna get in and get out but we're mm -hmm. gonna do it in style we're gonna do it great yep. my i will yeah. say my ward did a great job of that not just because i did sing because i did <laughs> <laughs> but 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 truthfully that wasn't the highlight of it the the speakers they had how well it was orchestrated got to give my bishop uh, a lot of credit for thinking through it because early in this in the month i was in my head, I was thinking, well, no, I was told that it was going to be me singing and the bishop talking, and that was going to be the whole thing. Mm. And so wow. I even, like the night before, I started thinking, that can't be all that we're doing, right? And so I texted him, like, you want to, you mind if I bear my testimony? And he came back, he's like, no, I don't think we're going to have time. And I'm like, oh, that's not what I was expecting. So cool. I'll just sing and good. get off. <laughs> good, good. And, and turns out he had the primary children come up, which by the way, you can always do a really good job on Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, just have the primary children get up and sing one song. I mean, that usually, like anyone outside of the church, even if they do a terrible job, everyone loves that. Sure, so everyone that. loves the kids singing. Yeah, they had a a, a a friend of ours. She she spoke and she was she was exceptional. Then I sang, and then um, the first counselor of the bishopric came up and summed it all up, focused on um, how the you know, tell the story of Christ visiting and the, the Christmas story from the Book of Mormon. I mean, it was 
really a well done. It had enough for everyone out of the church, into the church. It really so I gotta give props to my bishop. Yeah, show it off. Braggart, that's cool. That's fun. Our work yeah, was you... almost exclusively music. Yeah. I like and I love awesome. that. I love that exception. And, and, and it was great. We had people who aren't members of our ward who came mm -hmm. and and say we had one gal who came and sang. We had another duo as like brothers who played now people that aren't from your ward who came and participated in the meeting is that what you're yeah. saying or people in the oh, program. Wow. okay yeah. okay yeah so we had a like a brother sister or a brother and brother duo play the cello and the piano we had a pop-up choir where they basically just said this is the song we're singing if, if you want to join come on up oh that's cool and it was really cool and it sounded amazing and here's the thing like we are a church that very much appreciates talent mm -hmm. and we develop talent and so we should mine the talent mm -hmm. for things like this, you know, and we had one sister who um, maybe she's kind of struggling with her faith, um, but she came up and sang the most beautiful Silent Night. Mm -hmm. And she shared how she was a history teacher. And so she talked about the Christmas Eve truce that happened in during World War One and how this song played into that. Wow. Um, and then our bishop said, we're going to have a testimony from somebody. I don't know who yet, but I'll call them up out of the out of the audience after this musical number. And he brought up this sister who um, gave a beautiful testimony of the Savior. And it was it was amazing. Mm. It was amazing. Mm. And so it's one of those things where I look at it and I go, it's not hard to create a beautiful spirit filled sacrament meeting for Christmas Eve. And it's also like this is the chance to kind of break the mold a little bit of what we're used to. So think outside the box a little bit. Come on, people. Uh, I will say this about that, and then we'll sort of wrap it up. We'll take a break, and we'll do actual articles of news. Uh, I think I'm also a little spoiled. In my old ward, when I lived in downtown Salt Lake, uh, the piano guys would perform <laughs> for okay. Christmas Sunday uh, because uh, the brother, I guess one half of the piano guys, the uh, cellist, um, his brother was in our ward and he would visit with him on Christmas Sunday. And so you'd be sitting and, you know, you'd listen to the person and then the most amazing musical number comes from the stand and you're like, what? Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Like I was at a well, like, meeting and a concert broke out. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of like, uh, years ago, I have my, a friend of mine, she, she's a Tony award-winning singer well. um, in St. George, Lisa Hopkins Segmiller, um, lives in Washington County. St. George, we went down to visit them, knowing that she was going to sing at their Christmas breakfast that morning. Mm -hmm. We thought this is perfect. We get to see, you know, Lee. I mean, I think Elisa in two, there's Lisa, who's just a friend of ours. Mm -hmm. you know? yeah. And then there's the Tony Award winning singer. So we got to go see the, you know, the Tony Award winning singer. Anyway, so guess who's also in the ward? The piano guys. Oh, wow. So then they had this, they both did their things. And then they had this impromptu where they did something together. And we were just like, we're just coming to breakfast at church. Yeah. At, at, the, at the church Christmas party. Wow. So anyway, yeah. so that's a lot of fun. Worth the uh 10% price of admission. And By then the way, uh, I should I should I should get Lisa on and have you interview her. One yes, time. why why that that's the, that's the real egregious mistake and all that. Uh and and then the last thing that I'll uh that I'll say about the uh the uh, church thing is that I'm 99% sure that the reason why I'm meeting with my bishop on Sunday is that he's going to put me in charge of Easter. <laughs> awesome. That or please don't. He's air been listening to the laundry. Yeah. yeah. On the. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let, 
or maybe what? both. If you are going to air your dirty laundry on there, I'm going to give you a calling for you yes. to rectify it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, perfect. Well, either way, the deed has been done at this point. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to plow through as many news articles as we can. We'll come back in the second half to do articles of news. Hi friends, Dan the Laptop Man here from PC Laptops. Our lifetime service guarantee has become the most trusted warranty in the industry. You can get a brand new PC Laptops desktop computer and they start at only $29 a month. Check us out at PCLaptops.com. BestDJinUtah.com. You're right, it's a new ad. What? Well, it's been an entire season since I've recorded a BestDJinUtah.com ad. And well... The wedding season coming to an end at this point, but not really because what happens now is everyone who's going to get married in 2024 reaches out and says, Richie, is it possible? Do you still have this date? And I tell them, yes, hopefully. And then we get you booked. We'd love to be able to work with you. Uh, travel all along the Intermountain West. Some people call it the Jello Belt. Uh, you can go to bestdjinutah.com to request a quote. You can find us on any of the social medias at bestdjinutah. And uh, we can answer any questions. Affordable? Yes. Over 400 five-star reviews? Yes. Highest rated in the state of Utah? Uh-huh. Go on. It's best djinutah.com and and I'll give you a little hint it, it also helps me to be able to do this like financially support the cultural hall through that and you get something in return Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the second half of Articles of News, we do actual articles of news. Hit it, Peter. You can't lose articles of news. And away we go. It's too bad we don't share the uh, in-between from when we're doing the first part to the second part. People would be just... Uh, wowed by the conversation that happens there. And that's all that I'm going to say about that. Uh, Megan the Mitch, you are the lady. Ladies first. What news story take you? Uh, do you take us to? Uh, Tim Ballard. He's oh. in the news. Uh, he has responded to lawsuits alleging sexual misconduct, but he says that the plaintiff stole data. So his response, he said frequently that he's not guilty of what sure. he's been accused of. But this um, in particular, in a motion filed on December 20th in the third district court, he asks the judge to strike certain evidence from the record um, because he says it was obtained improperly. Um, so one of the women who is suing him, her name is Celeste Borges. She was a former executive assistant to Tim Ballard. She had all of his email sign-in credentials up until just a few days before her lawsuit was filed. And Tim Ballard is alleging that she utilized those credentials to steal privileged information from Operation Underground Railroad and from his other projects, I guess. Um, so basically, uh, he says, or the, the filing says the handling of these complaints seems more aimed at smearing Mr. Ballard in the press than about prosecuting lawsuits. Mm. So... He's also saying that they can't really respond to the other allegations because he only knows like the pseudonyms 
of the people who are suing him. I don't even know a Kathy. Who's Kathy? I don't uh, even know exactly. Kathy. Yeah. I'm only guilty. I'm only guilty if you can actually prove I'm guilty with with things that are legitimate. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I, it doesn't matter yeah. if I actually did it or not. <laughs> exactly. Yep. So more more sunshine and rainbows from Tim Ballard. Oof. All right. Andrew, save us, That's please. <laughs> Well, did you know that Utah is no longer a majority Mormon state? Uh, I wondered who was going to try and snag this story up. Yeah, talk about it. It was the top of the list, so I just took that one. <laughs> <laughs> that's my choice. That's my choosing. That's how I. That's how I, how I pick. That's how I pick. Whichever one comes next. So there's a few things about this. So it, I, I think most of us can understand that there's been a lot of non-Mormons moving into Utah. So that that's an obvious reason why this case. But it also there's a few other reasons why. Maybe not as big of a story, or maybe bigger story to you than it is, because there is there. First of all, there's there's significant differences in what members of the church count as as Mormons, which we define as anyone baptized as a member. Mm -hmm. But so you're on the records. That's a Mormon. That's a Mormon, right? And so sociologists don't do it that way. They don't they don't go just pull the Mormon church's records and say that's where the Mormon church is. You could do that with Catholics, and that would be be different as well so they do is anyone who self-identifies as mormon so people i think one of the key things is this people who self-identify as mormon have declined significantly and that that has moved into it and with that this this constant move towards um secularization meaning i don't really identify as anything right Mm -hmm. i'm just Mm -hmm. i don't i'm not religious i and so that has increased significantly as well and so so that shift is you got to take some with a grain of salt, but I think it, it's telling in across the board that first of all, we have a lot of um, people moving in from out of state, not members of the church that has grown significantly in the, mm-hmm. in, in there, but also, also this understanding of people who we would consider Mormons or members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Sorry. Um, people we would consider members of the church because they, they actively are, may not be part of these these discussions so anyway so but i think it is telling that you know all my life utah has been predominantly uh you know mormon or mm-hmm. LD, lds and now um and now it it seems that that's not always the case and i don't necessarily see that as bad i think i see that as the church is growing becoming more of a worldwide church um um but i also see that you know there's a increased secularization going on and maybe we we could do better at welcoming visitors in yeah you mentioned the interesting part of the statistic which is 42 percent would say that they're uh lds mormon whatever uh as far as self-identifying and then the church would say that it's 60 percent of the state of utah so on the records are 60 percent. so that gap has always been there but it's certainly probably the widest that it's ever been they talk about how some part of it is how back in the day uh we all were like gather to utah come and be a mormon in utah this is where the place to be is and that's no longer the case the church is sort of spread out and being able to do that and then people just not having kids but the big thing for me the the thing that I think that we need to start now uh, is the the joke has long been, you know, you got called to to serve in the Utah mission, one of the Utah missions. 
oh man, they're just going to be helping activate non-member or, you know, inactive people or stuff. There's lots of people in the state of Utah that have not heard of the gospel, whether they've moved here or they've immigrated here or whatever the thing may be. And I think that it's that it's, it's going to be that paradigm shift for uh, members of the church here in Utah to go, Hey, there's lots of people around us that don't know. Whereas in the past, we would have said things like, Oh, you know, F H E at the war at the, you know, that kind of stuff that, that we need to start eliminating because not everyone is in fact the majority is not the whole gathering towards the stake i I was just thinking you know you know with the the influx of of temple building throughout the world Mm -hmm. it's 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 i don't know if it's chicken or egg thing i'm sure some of it is because we have members all throughout the world but also when we when we build temples out the world all around the world it is someone who wants to be near a temple doesn't have to travel all the way back to utah or move all the way back to utah to be near a temple. So now temples are, are everywhere. It's kind of falls in the same category as what happened after COVID with work, right? This idea mm-hmm. that I don't have to live near a big city anymore. I can live right. anywhere I want and I can zoom in or whatever. And so I think that there's some of that going on as well. Yeah. What were you going to say, Megan? Well, I was going to say that um, going back to what you were saying, Richie, about missionary work here in Utah. So my uncle served his mission in Salt Lake City back in like the 70s, uh, late 70s. And I was talking to him one time when I was younger, when I didn't understand the ways of the world, you know, and I was like, why would you go on a mission to Utah? They don't need missionaries. Mm -hmm. And he's like, no, I was so busy all the time. And I was like, yeah, how many people did you baptize? And he's like, I stopped counting after 60. And now to put that into perspective, my husband served in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And I asked him the same question. And he was like, I stopped counting after 60, Mm. you know, and so. The work has always been moving mm-hmm. in Utah, but it's us that needs to change our perspective on it, you know, because it's, it's I stopped counting, but that was because we didn't ever even get yeah. <laughs> I stopped counting because it made me too sad. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there's work to be done here in Utah and there always has been. Yeah. It, it, I oh, mean, sure. I, I have been known to say we all have work, but let no one shirk. I have been exactly. known to say that. Yeah. So let us put our shoulder to the wheel. Uh, next story. This is kind of interesting. Uh, this obviously with Come Follow Me, we're going to be studying the Book of Mormon in 2024. Uh, and Book as of po- Mormon stories that my teacher tells to me. Uh, 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 the uh, manuscript, uh, part of the original manuscript can now be seen as part of the Joseph Smith Papers. So if you go to the Joseph Smith Papers website, uh, this is a big deal, uh, being able to see the actual original manuscript. Kind of just a cool thing. Um, you can see the original manuscript of the Book of Mormon images that were used for Volume 5. Uh, you can see... Um, you can see uh, by being able to zoom in what the what the um, why can't I think of what the word is the uh, penmanship uh, looks like. You can see and be able to read that and 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 for some people, I think the thing that I think is exciting about it is um, it allows you to oh I don't know maybe like see that that there is some historicity or like uh, I don't want to say authenticness to it, but like. It's the same thing for me, like when I went to Kirtland and I remember hearing the stories of the things that happened in Kirtland and I'm like, oh, I am at the place where these things happened, right? And the same is true for other parts of history. I was I was at the place where Gettysburg happened. I would went to the place where this, whatever, right? Like there's a there's an interesting- It makes it more real to you when you yeah. can actually, you're right there, right? 
Yeah, immersive is a perfect word for it. And so um, with the uh, with us studying the Book of Mormon and Come Follow Me this next year, it's a great opportunity. You should check it out. Uh, that's at the Joseph Smith Papers website. I want to take another story just real quick as we plow through some of these stories. Uh, I wanted to really quickly say, did you did you know that what? one of the main main re main things that uh, that caused the degradation of the the papers or whatever they are? Tell me, because they. They gave them away as fragments away as souvenirs. That was, I read that article and I was like, that was one of the, like, you can imagine the water damage and sure. the age and the light damage and all those things. But one of the significant things they had to combat was fragments being missing because people had like cut them out and given them to people as souvenirs. Second husband who did that. Yeah. I don't know who did it. I just thought that. I think in our modern sense of like we think of archaeology because we we watch the History Channel and we watch all these things, so we think of things so differently than they did like 150 years ago. And they're like, "Oh yeah, you want a piece of history? Here, have a piece." <laughs> and that, you know, that would like no one would do that today. You say that, but who doesn't have a brick from you know the original Temple Square? You know, yeah. you know what I'm saying? We do that kind of stuff all the okay. time still. Yeah, yeah, but we do not with documents. Well. <laughs> Bricks are the documents of mason work. There, there you go. Okay. Oh, all right. Still, know. nice stretch. I think I think it just blows my mind that that's what happened. Sorry, I had to interject. Uh, no, I think I think it is a fascinating thing. And then and then coming on the other side of it to be like calling all people who had affiliation with the church. Does anyone have a piece that has <laughs> part of this letter? And you know, so you see a bunch of people who maybe are just bring it in and let us scan it. You're gonna have it back afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. My piece goes here, and your piece here. Uh, this story I thought was fascinating. The uh, church now owns two billion dollars of U.S. farmland, more acreage than Bill Gates and China combined. Uh, this obviously a follow up to the story about how uh, the church recently has bought up a bunch of land in Nebraska. Certainly, we own uh, a ton of land in Florida. We have talked about that before, um, and so uh, so it's just it, it's remarkable. It is to some people a thing that uh, they go, well, I'm glad. I'm glad to be a member of a church that owns, you know, so much, uh, you know, real estate in, in farming lands. I, I, for, for the amount that we own of it, I think I'm at the point that I want us to be talking uh, about it a little bit more. That, that's sort of how my feeling is. I don't know. I don't think anything nefarious is going on, certainly. Um, but But I think that it's like, we we are we own so much that I really would like the church to be like, hey, we are the largest farm owner landowners in the United States, and here is why we are doing that. We just recently purchased three hundred and seventy thousand acres in Nebraska, and here is why. Not because they have to justify it necessarily, but I just think the immensity of it it would do us well. Same in the in the same way that you know when everything came about with the church and a hundred billion you know in in money and you know what are we doing and since that time the church has said and a million has gone here and thirty eight million's gone here and you know whatever it, I think it would do us well to be like and here is what's going on in Nebraska our it's always better if we own the story right if we if we own the the dialogue we basically yes. like here here's what's going on yeah here's what we're doing it and here's what we you know why why we do it that way. Yeah, there yeah, is about how it's going to benefit the community. Yeah. yeah, one of the things I was reading in that story is that a lot of farmers are feeling displaced and it's like, well, that's not good. Sure. But 
like what is what is the what is the benefit to the church then have buying that land and what are they doing for everybody in the area yeah you know i mean the the thing is is that it doesn't uh you know, I know some of the stuff in uh, like Florida is for cattle grazing and things like that. Like, I think I think even just a mention of like, hey, we're going to make this this or, you know, as these farmers are feeling displaced, it's like, hey, no, don't feel displaced. We bought this and we would love it can be another opportunity of of mission work. Right. You're you're not able to do the thing that you were doing before. We would love it if you would come work for this. And here's this amazing thing that we're doing with this because. To Andrew's point, if we don't fill in the story, everyone else will. Churches buying the land. They're they're yeah. building a bridge so that we can walk from Salt Lake to Missouri. <laughs> a land There's, bridge. I love it. Making yeah. a land bridge. Yeah, so makes, you can come up with all kinds of fun conspiracy see? theories. Let's start some. Yeah, I think we just did. I think we just <laughs> yeah. did. So uh I my I, name goes on that. So when it comes up in my temple recommend interview, I can say that was me. Yeah, I did that. That that conspiracy theory is me. Uh, you know, I think we're the largest landowners in like 12 of the 50 states. So I think uh, there will come a time, it seems to me, or I hope to me, that they'll say, Hey, here's the plan. Here's what we're doing. Because these aren't church buildings that are being put on these farmlands. In some of these it, places, they're it full could be like the rock, the rock rolling, rolling story. We could add that conspiracy to it, where we're we're going to roll to expand to cover the entire earth, and then we could get into more trouble like we did back 150 years ago, where everyone thought we were going to try and take over the United States and caused a lot of mob mob attacks on us. That, that sounds like a great plan. Yeah, we could do that. <laughs> Megan, what do you got? What do you got for us? Get us out of this. All right, Ruby, Frankie, Ick. Um, Richie, you sent me this story and I was like, well, this is the most unsurprising plot twist mm. in that all of the money that they made, she kept it from her children. Yeah. Surprising, probably nobody. Um, in this article, it, it, um, there's a third party site that's, uh, quoted, um, with the estimated worth of the eight passengers YouTube channel and the Frankie family. The net worth was $2.5 million in 2020. Which surprised me. Surprised me it was that low, I think. I Yeah. Well, uh, yes, I agree. But still, it's money I'll never see. You know, I'll never sure. see money like that. Sure. Um, the channel reportedly made $195 per day and $838 per week. Hmm. Uh, the majority of the earnings came from YouTube ads and sponsored content and clothing sales. And that all came crashing down in a very um, fiery way when Ruby Frankie was arrested for child abuse and neglect. Um, yeah, the whole thing, I, I could go on and on about the different allegations lodged against her, but I think it's interesting. There's, there's kind of a time right now when we're talking about children who are kind of being raised in this digital space, mm -hmm. you know, the, the kids coming up right now are the first generation who have their entire lives online, you know? And I've, I've seen a lot of, or I've read and heard a lot of people who are like, there has to be protection in place for kids who are uh, affiliated with blogger families. And there's just none, there's none uh, to protect their privacy, to protect their financial, you know, um, investments, you know, all of that. And there's just nothing. And then you have things like this come up. And and by the way, the Frankie family is not the first family to be accused of child abuse in regards to their YouTube videos. Sure. And like the more, the, the deeper you go and the further you go down these rabbit holes, it's astonishing 
how many children are outright being abused on YouTube for for likes and clicks and shares and money. Mm. And none of those kids are seeing any sort of um, uh, compensation for all that they do. So yeah. Yeah. That's my little soapbox. Well, and along with it, an adjacent story of things that have happened in the last week or so with that story, both Jody Hildebrandt and uh, Ruby yep. Frankie have pled. Uh, Ruby yes. Frankie, four of the six charges of uh, of child abuse she has pled guilty to, and uh, Jody Hildebrandt, her partner as well, four of the four. Um, but interesting, they're not all the same. They're not the all the that same they counts. Pled to are not all the same charges. Yeah. Or allegations. Yes. Or yep. Um, but. They have pled and ha are now to be sentenced. And the thought is, I heard this was a this was speculation. So I'll pass that along for sure. Um, that uh, the judge in the particular case with Ruby Frankie will likely char uh, sentence her for a good deal of time. There's yeah. there was some sort of information around that individual or around that particular thing because she could be anywhere. I think it's anywhere from one to fifteen years per um, count. Yeah. So it could so, be four to 60. Yeah. And they're thinking that it'll likely be somewhere around the 30 to 40 years range, which is pretty remarkable when you think about something like that. So yeah, gross. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Andrew, what, what, Andrew, what would you like to talk about? Nothing. Not after that. No. Um, Sorry. I'll bring up, I'll bring up a really happy story. Okay. The St. David man oh, <laughs> quitted in a, a threat case against his mother amid controversial trial. So uh, uh, Donald Dean Latham from St. David was acquitted at the Cochise County jury on a six felony charges, including influencing and intimidating witnesses. The charges were related to allegations made in February 2021, where he was accused of threatening to behead his mother at an Arizona church. So apparently he went to church and decided that's a good time to uh, to threaten his mom with beheading. Because, you know, maybe he was in the middle of of talking about the Book of Mormon and maybe he was talking about Nephi and, and Laman. Yeah, and, could have been talking and, about Shiz. And said, and yeah, just said, you know what? That's what I'm going to do to you, Mom. I don't know. I'm just asking. Um, but there was a lot of, uh, there, there, there wasn't enough evidence, I guess, to say that was true. But he still has significant legal issues since he has, and he remains incarcerated following a conviction of two felony counts of attempted aggravated assault of peace officers. So just because he got off of the one charge doesn't mean he's a, he's a, he's for sure a really good guy. And I have a feeling there's more, there's more to it than, than uh, the evidence suggests. And so uh, he, my guess is he probably did go to church and, 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 and do something law. like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. May he get the help that he needs. It's a it's a wild story. I can remember a couple of years ago when we actually talked about it because the the premise is almost as ridiculous as you made it sound, which is guy goes to church and says, "Yeah, mom, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna take your head off," and everyone, what is this? Is this real? Is this in Doctrine and Covenants in the back? Is this where where are we where are we finding this? What 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 reference are you are you covering? <laughs> Where are we? Oh, Maccabees. Got it. Okay. 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 Uh, let's see where to go next. He says out loud as he scours the different things that he sent uh, everyone to chat about beforehand. Okay, let's go here. Uh, Roseanne Barr, uh, for people who don't know, yes, that Roseanne, uh, originally a member of the church from Utah, uh, has some connection to, uh, you know, the delicious Dunford chocolate on chocolate donuts. 
has some connection to to that family, which is kind of exciting. Uh, she was recently on a podcast with uh, Tucker Carlson. Ugh. Sorry, excuse me. And uh, they were talking about the ancient mounds in Missouri. And Carlson referred to Latter-day Saint beliefs about ancient America saying, quote, I've certainly spent a lot of uh, my life making fun of that, but I'm going to stop. The two began discussing subject in history that will still mystify some scholars. Carlson continued, here in North America, there are certain archaeological ruins, say in the state of Missouri, that were not built by the descendants of the current Native American Indians. We know that. They are a mile long, a mile long in Missouri right now. If you've never read uh, anything about this, it actually, it is a pretty fascinating kind of rabbit hole you can find yourself uh, going down into, not necessarily the mounds, but the rabbit hole uh, about these mile-long mounds in Missouri. Um, they're called the Monk's Mound uh, in Illinois, and they're considered the largest known pre-Columbian mounds standing nearly 100 feet high and more than nine times as long as those that are in Missouri. So... Obviously, as part of this, you know, the discussion that, you know, maybe these were Nephites or Lamanites that uh, could have made these mounds. I don't think the church has ever made such a claim that we have any sort of affiliation with Nor these mounds. would they or should they? No, a hundred percent, right? Unless we know, please let us not step into it unless we... You're right, right. Know. If the angel Moroni came back down and said, by the way, here you go, maybe, maybe we would make a different statement. <laughs> and then maybe maybe you're circling back about it, and you're like Roseanne Barr. I didn't know. Uh, I didn't know she was Mormon. Yeah, grew up in Salt Lake City in a Jewish family, and she explained her childhood faith as this. And I I think that this is a just a great telling of not only who Roseanne is, but also about her faith growing up. She says Friday, Saturday, and Sunday morning I was a Jew. Sunday afternoon, Tuesday afternoon, and Wednesday afternoon we were Mormons. And un undoubtedly that's because that was when they would have like. The primary would meet in uh, the middle of the week and probably they went to some sort of meeting, you know, Sunday afternoon and then, you know, MIA on Wednesday nights or something like that. So, so that is Roseanne Barr, the former Mormon. Those two, Mormon. out of the two, the one who's less, less crazy to me is Roseanne Barr. Uh, I agree less, with that. And she's less, still crazy. <laughs> yeah. But Tucker Carlson's one of those, he's like Glenn Beck and I. I, that, that I can get sucked into something they're talking about. Sure. And I'm thinking, and I'm thinking, well, they, they have a point. And then all of a sudden, right when they have me and I'm thinking, oh, they have a point. I, they go, they say something way, cra way crazy. Down. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. I almost got sucked in there. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, uh, I, I should say, I love getting sucked into stuff like that. But it is it is fascinating to me the way that uh, that like these and and I guess I shouldn't be so surprised. But some of these um, news performers, performers know that that's I exactly that what they're term. doing, right? I love yeah, that. yeah, yeah. No, they're absolutely, totally they, they know yeah. exactly. And, and Glenn Beck, I've met Glenn Beck and had the conversation with Glenn Beck. This is before he sort of got super crazy. We were both at a radio convention together. I was like, "Hey, I am too." Look, and he's like, "Oh, that's awesome." But we we talk about being more. And I was like, you seem like a, a, a logical, reasonable, level-headed individual. And then you see them on the screen and you're like, yeah. uh, and to your point, Andrew, it's you, you are drawing me in. I will yeah. stick through the commercial break because I think yeah. you're crazy. You'll <laughs> see that little clip and the little clip is like, he's right. 
And then yeah. you'll click on the little clip. You'll watch a minute or two or even five minutes. And you're like, man, I, I think maybe I maybe I misjudged Glenn Beck. And all of a sudden, whoa. Yep. <laughs> nope, I did not misjudge. That yep. was not a yeah. Whoa. Uh, okay. We're to uh, some fun stories. I would, we haven't really talked about this. I thought this was interesting. And since we've got uh, Megan here, I'd love to get a perspective of all of ours. Unless, do either of you guys have a really pressing story that you're like, man, it needs to be in this episode of Articles of News? You, you know me. I'm, I've got my story that, no, no, I don't have it. Megan? I'm good. Okay. The women on the stand, this uh, in California, so uh, I'll set this up as best as I know. Uh, in a couple particular stakes, maybe lots of stakes, there were uh, women that were able to be up on the stand. The way that that particular stake uh, went about it, um, or at least one of the stakes went about it, stake president said, hey, you know what? We think that it's a great idea if a woman uh, from one of the organizations sits up on the stand, just like the, you know, the bishopric does, or on occasion when the elders quorum does. We think it's a great showing of uh, women in the ward and uh, the women... Um, that would practice this felt like it was a great opportunity to be able to see the congregation like how the bishop is I able love to this see it. idea. Now I right? want to know where you're going. Right. So being able so being able to 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 see the ward, some at first said, hold on, that means I'm gonna have to leave my husband with my kids and that will be difficult, or how do we do it? Um, but these various wards found different ways of doing it. Some were just the the Relief Society president from the ward. You sit on the stand. If you're called to be the Relief Society president, you sit on the stand. That's that's the thing. And others that would be like, you know what, we've got four in the in the um in the presidency. So the president will take one week and first counselor and second counselor, but it allowed them to kind of see who was there, to be able to see their demeanor, to be able to, you know, see who's coming in and who's coming out, things that they wouldn't have been able to see. So they thought, man, it's a great idea. And for for some people, and in some places, it had gone on more than a decade. It's also reflected that this happens, uh, at least to the point of publishing this article, that it was happening in Europe in some places, but uh, someone in the area presidency that serves over uh, California came and said, hey, the women on the stand thing, we're done. We're not doing that anymore. And uh, and so now there are some of those uh, those folks who had been sitting on the stand or people who were in congregations that are like, wait, what, why are we, why can't we do this anymore? We were doing this in a way. Can someone please explain this to us in a way that will make sense and not just feel punitive. So Andrew, you already said you feel like it's a good idea. I'm of the mind that it's a good idea as well for the reasons I stated. What do you think, Megan? Um, I might be the dissenter here. Please. On the, on the surface, I think the idea is fine, right? Okay. Like, Okay, sure. Have women sit up there. They do it at general conference. Sure. You know, you've got the auxiliary presidents up there. But it doesn't make any sort of a difference to me unless things are happening behind the scenes that allows women to have more of a voice. Mm. If it's just women sitting up on the stand, but the conversations are the same in ward council and state council, then it's all performative. Mm. And then I look at it and I'm like, then it doesn't make a difference. Because then like, why I've bother? Been in positions where, then it's yeah, just a show. Yeah, because it's just like yeah. it's just for show. It's just to appease the ladies, mm. you know. And I would much rather have it be a guarantee that when a woman is sitting on a ward council, her voice is heard, her input is taken, her feelings and her thoughts and her ideas are validated mm. and put into practice. When it comes to women's visibility in the church. I care much more about that mm. than I do who's sitting up on the stand. 
Does that make sense? Sure. Do you yeah, feel like I think that I gotta, that's vastly more important? Oh, I was going to push back just a bit because sometimes yeah. the only way you can get to what you're talking about behind the scenes is to do the the stuff up front. Give women more visibility in the church on the stand so people understand that their voice does matter, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so sometimes that's, you know, you can hide behind, you if you can hide behind the ward council and, and they can be problematic back there, but from one ward with the ward council will be great with women, another ward will be, and, and it can go from bishop to bishop. But I think when you put them up on the stand, it's, it's a twofold thing. So I agree with you in the sense that if you just did the stand and nothing else changed, that's a problem. But I, I think sometimes the only way to get it to change is to, is to actually do the, 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 the show of it, but mm. put them on the stand. So people understand that they are, they are just as important as the elders quorum president and just as important as the bishopric and the first counselor and whoever else. That is in. And, and so, so to that point, um, I'm going to push back just a bit. Yeah. I, I think it's, yeah, I think it's significant to have for people again, and I don't, maybe I'm sort of missionary minded today, but like if I'm visiting a church and I look up there and I go, Wade, where are all the women? You know, certainly that doesn't change. And that, you know, a woman sitting on the stand doesn't give the women uh, priest, the priesthood, you know, right. and, and that's not a discussion that we're having right now. But I mean, it doesn't change that, but it does go, oh, I can see myself represented my, you know, my individuality, my my sex represented as a leadership, as someone we're looking towards, towards the, you know, towards the ward. And then I also do think that, to your point, Andrew, I think that it's, man, she's the Relief Society president and she's up there and she is important as well. I, th I think that that, I think that that can go miles, but yeah, you're right, uh, Megan. There's if if it's just like, yo, you, what, you got your place on the stand. Now you want to talk in this meeting too? No, like that to me, yeah, absurd. Yeah. I hope that we're not anywhere near that perspective because anymore. I've been in a not not in my current living situation, not in my current ward or stake, but in previous stakes, I've been in ward councils where they've asked me to share an idea, and I share the idea, and they say, "Okay, well, we're just going to do what we've always done." And I'm like, right. "Then why did you even ask?" And if right. they were then to be like, "Well, come sit on the stand," I'd be like, "Why?" Right. Why? Because the place where it actually, like, where things can actually happen, you know, like, no policy is being, or, well, we're not deciding policy, but no, nothing is being decided up on the stand on Sunday during sacrament meeting. Right. It's happening behind the scenes. And so it's like, why Why would yeah. you want me up there? But if you're in the, you if you're in the congregation and you see someone on the stand and you're thinking, I need help or, or someone to advise me. If your only people you see are the bishopric, that may be the only people you go to. When right. you see um, someone else, and and you know, and this is this is back to taking care of the one. When the one needs assistance, and 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 even in the case where nowadays a lot of times the bishop says, "Hey, I need to spread out." Like they people will call the bishop first for everything. Yeah. When really that's not the case. That's not the right way to go. Sure. The elders quorum president, really side president, are the ones who should be handling. The majority of those types of, of situations but most people don't feel comfortable doing that but if they put them on the stand now that they might feel more comfortable talking to them because they they feel like that they're they're visible that way so i think that they're again i think the twofold i think if you only did one um or or, or the other maybe it's not as, as useful but when if both are occurring and we've seen that i, I, will, I will give the the I, I will i will say that they flattened the 
the power structure in the wards over the last few years significantly where it really is the case that we don't have the separate council of priesthood executive council anymore sure, where sure. that's where the real things happen the ward council yep. is become the the main thing so now it's just a matter of changing minds and hearts right yeah yeah well and also um you know to speak to your point andrew sorry i know we're low on time but um you know if somebody needs help if somebody comes into our sacrament meeting and doesn't know who to go to you know there's also some onus on us as members to be reaching out to the people sitting in the pew next to us yes. so that maybe Absolutely. somebody turns to me and says, oh, Sister Mitchell, um, I'm having this issue. Who can I go to about it? Then also that would be on me to make sure that I'm fellowshipping and I'm reaching out to the one mm -hmm. and that I'm doing my, my, that my is duty, always the giving my covenants to help them out and say, let me introduce you to the Relief Society president. She can help you with a b c d and e or here was my husband he's the elders corn president he would love to help arrange your move you know no mm -hmm. he wouldn't but um he would love you know, to give you a phone number of some movers that could help you so that we don't have to do it exactly or he would love to arrange a priesthood blessing for your your wife or your your child mm -hmm. you know or something like that and so i don't know it's it's one of those things where i just look at it and i'm like i just don't know that it's that deep personally to have women on the stand mm -hmm. It's not a bad thing. I also just don't know if it's going to bring the change that people think it would or would hope that it does. But we are me. the change. We as individuals are the change. That's, that's right. True. Real quick, putting you guys on the spot. New Year's resolution for 2024. Go, Andrew. One thing. I got to release my my next book. There it I, is. I, I, completed, I completed the raw draft. I don't even call it a rough draft. The raw draft uh -huh. uh, over the Christmas season. And... So now it's a year of rewriting, refining, and and putting a new one, new one out by next. It'll be November, early November. I'll release it. Perfect, Yay. Megan. Congratulations. Um, to uh, develop my relationship with the Savior through the Book of Mormon. All right. Church. Oh, she stole. I know. She, man, she, now I say a book, and then she, she yeah. totally makes me. Uh, mine, mine's hers too, and then my book. Yeah, and then well, my... it's because I'm I'm a gospel doctrine teacher now. Oh, and it's yeah. Thing I've never done, and it's all the Book of Mormon. So that's what I'm gonna do. So, so rephrased, Andrew, not suck in her calling is what she's saying, but she did it in a, a far, little bit in a far more like positive way. Listen, gonna... I want to magnify my calling and it'll have good ramifications on my life. There it is. Uh, mine paying my house off in 2024. Hands up Woo! in the air. Whoop, 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 whoop. And then also Megan's thing. And also I'm writing a book that'll come out in November. We hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body. And if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, you'll be healthy enough to listen next week. And when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Chris at Alpine Lakes Travel, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, and Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast. We'll be saving a seat for you. On the back on row. On the back row. Of, of the, the cultural, cultural hall. hall. Save me a seat. It's sure to be neat. On the back row. We really gotta go on the cultural hall show.